0: You know, uh, I've been uh, teaching uh, since we rolled into this new year, and I was talking about, does anybody remember what my title was? Excuse me? Looking Ahead. Does anybody else know? But it's talking about looking ahead, and looking ahead is all about promises, all about faith, all about hope, confident expectation for the future, and uh you know, I wanted to kind of, you know, make it a little bit more personal. What I want to talk about is looking not just ahead, but looking to Jesus. Real simple, real simple concept, but life-changing concept. I would like to uh, look at a very familiar verse. You probably can quote it, you know, most everybody is so familiar. It's in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is in the Amplified Bible, and it says, but first, and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. His way of doing and being right. And you know God's ways are higher than our ways? It is. And we can learn his ways, and we can change our ways and, and start applying his ways to our life. But it says here, be first and most importantly, but first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom, his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God. And then all these things. Is is there any things that you need? Yeah. Absolutely. We all need things to just survive in this old planet. He says, and all these things will be given to you also. You know, not just by focusing on our needs, but focusing on, so what's his name? Jesus. Focusing on the need meter. He is everything we'll ever need. And as we're still in the forefront of this year and still just kind of breaking in January, Let's remember to look to him, look to Jesus as we launch out of him this year. Let's don't get caught up in all kinds of anything else that excludes him, but put him first. Seek first God and his kingdom, his righteousness, and all this other stuff that we have need of, it'll come looking for us, it'll be added to us. In the book of John, chapter 14, it says... The person who has my commands, the person who has my commands, this is Jesus talking, the person who has my commands, how many of y'all have his commands? Isn't it awesome? I mean, you know what? We we got them everywhere nowadays, don't we? Although, this is really one of the best because as I was coming to church, I discovered that my battery was in the red. And I've got like 50 Bibles in here but it was threatening, losing them all just for a little bit of power. You know what? I should correct that right now. I'll be back. <clears throat> Hope I can find a, a plug. I got this little short wire. <laughs> now let's see here. All right. <laughs> you know, you hate to be without your phone, don't you? You know, it's, it's, it's my Bible. And when I'm talking to people and I'm going, I'm doing like this, like I used to do with my Bible here, I'm going like, you know I'm referring to this as my Bible, right? I just want people to know that. It's like, why are you always waving your phone around at everybody, you know? Okay, all right. I just need some power there. You ever need some power in your life? Yes. You know where to get it? Yes. You know what? This will empower you and transform your life. I am telling you. And Jesus and his word are one. You want to get the mind of Christ? You want to know what Christ is thinking? You want to know his ways? It's right here. We can get to know it. Fantastic. Anyhow, this is a person... The person who has my commands and keeps them. And that's really talking about keeping them in front of your eyes so we can uh, apply them to our life. And they are not drudgery. They're not like, oh, you know, spoiling our party. Having God's commands empowers us and enables us. It really does. And he says, the person who has my commands and keeps them... Right there in front of your eyes so we can act upon them is the one who really loves me. Who's the person who really loves Jesus? The ones who have the commands and keeps him in front of your eyes. He says, uh, this is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and will show. I will, Everybody say show. show. I will show. Reveal myself. Reveal myself. Reveal, manifest myself to him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That that just blows me away that Jesus is saying, if you'll keep my commands in front of your eyes so you can act upon them, he says, I will show, I'll reveal, I'll manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him or her, whoever it is, who has the commands of God and keeps them in front of your eyes so you can act upon them. And it says, And I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. Jesus said, I will make myself real to you. If you got my word and you keep it in front of your eyes so you can act upon it, Jesus says, I'm going to make myself real to you. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He really is. That's just the way it is. So to keep our eyes upon God's word is to really keep our eyes upon God. And, you know, we've challenged so many people over the 39 years we've been here now, to read your Bible through every year, you know. And there was a brother telling me uh, uh, several months ago, he said, you know what, it's been the best thing in my life. I begin to read the Bible every day, and he's almost through. Do we have that testimony? We do. Okay, I'm going to show you a little testimony. And I know so many people are reading through the Bible, but he's, he's got about a month to go to finish up, and I just want you to hear what he has to say.
1: My name is Buck Kalinowski, and I've uh, been coming to the church uh, eight, nine years. I enjoy the messages and uh, I love getting spiritually fed. But last year, uh, Pastor Ron was talking about, you know, how many have read the Bible, the whole Bible. And, you know, I was kind of embarrassed to say I didn't. There, There was a challenge. And, you know, if you can read the Bible in the year, I'm gonna try it. So I uh, went on and I got a Bible app. I did it with someone else on the farm, Tyler. Those of you who know me, I have a pretty large horse farm. So we started off and every morning uh, we'd do the devotion. I remember uh, Pastor Ron said, if you pour into God, God's gonna pour into you. Uh, There were days I'd read five chapters and then one verse would just jump out at me and it would be like, wow, God's talking to me on this one verse. I started noticing that uh, there was a change taking place. I, I looked at things different. I answered people different. I, uh, I saw things and situations differently. And, and when the enemy would try to attack me, I would say, how would God handle this? Midsummer. Uh, I, I was reading, you know, love your neighbor as yourself and I have a neighbor that is, he's, he's difficult to love because he's, he's always complaining about something I'm doing and it always has to do with my animals, whether the pony steps into his yard or my little donkey wanders over and is eating his grass. He doesn't call me, he, he calls the police. I try to keep it off his yard and I've had discussions with both pony and donkey, and said, "Listen, don't go over there." And for the most part, all summer, they were they were good. Probably, we started to notice in August. Weeks were going by, and his lawn wasn't getting mowed, <clears throat> and it was starting to look pretty shabby. And I was like, "Wow, this this is really a blight issue in the town of Wilkin." You know, if I could finally report him and I'll show him, you know, he really has to clean up his yard. I'm reading my devotion one morning and here comes God's voice. What do you think I would do in that situation? And I was like, well, knowing you, you would, you would probably mow his lawn. And then here came the voice. That's right. So mow his lawn. And I was like, I'm not mowing his lawn, you mow his lawn. I'm not, I'm not going over there and it was so strong that as i was getting ready that morning i just said okay okay i'll go over there with my mower and i'll mow the lawn but i'm only going to mow the backyard and because he needs to get out there and he needs to mow the front yard i start and i go into his yard and i start mowing and as i'm mowing god is really working on me so the backyard's almost done and i and i'm saying, uh, okay, I'll do one pass to the front yard, Lord, but that's it. So I made it to the front yard, and I drove around the front yard. Came into the back, and, and again, here comes the voice. Do another one. Okay, I'm going to do one more, but I'm not doing any more. And I did the second. Then I did a third. Then I'm praying and I'm starting to feel something come over me like, keep going, you can do this. And, and by my seventh, and the seventh was the completion. And it was like, wow, they walked around Jericho seven times. Yeah, now this house can fall. And I said, no, stop it, stop it. I'm gonna, okay, Lord, I did it. And now I'm, I find myself going over some spots that I missed. And now I'm humming and I'm, and I'm singing and my mood changed so much because I was obedient. And now I drive out of that yard, going down the driveway with my mower, singing. And you know, I don't care if he acknowledged it, appreciated it, but I did it for the Lord. I didn't do it for, for me. Those are the kind of things that came over me reading the Bible this year. Every morning, I, I start with the, my devotional, grab my computer, uh, my iPad, and I read. And, uh, you know, the Lord talks to me. I talk to Him. I pray about certain situations. He gives me answers, sometimes right away. Sometimes I I uh, have to wait. But... Keep on praying, and I have thirty days left to complete my Bible in a year and on day thirty one I'm just going to start it over again because um, the blessings I, I I can't rave about it more when the devil attacks and he is going to attack don't think wow I'm reading the bible i'm I'm set no those attacks come and and when they do you know. God's word says, listen, I'll give you the tools and you do what I say, sit back and you watch the outcome. And the, the outcome is real, um, it's very real.
0: To read your Bible through in the year, it's not too late to start, you can start anytime, but it does give us wisdom and insight and it changes things. I don't have in my, my scripture lineup but I do have it on my Bible right over here. And it's uh, in Hebrews chapter um, 11, verse 6. Let me see. And it says, and let me just read it to you, and listen, just kind of absorb. This is what the Bible says. Hebrews 11, 6, it says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing God's word. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently, earnestly, sincerely seek Him, looking to Jesus. And when you and I are... Are looking to Jesus and we're in his word, we're, we're, we're trying to become better acquainted with almighty God who loves us he has got purpose and plan for our life. I'm going to tell you, you will discover. If you seek, you shall um, find. You really genuinely shall. Well, here, let me charge my Bible back up here. If the Lord himself was to come into your house or, or mine, what do you think he might would say? Think about that for just a moment. What would he say if he came into our house? What do you think he might say? And this is some things I'm thinking. You know, there's a lot. So he could say all kinds of things, but this is what I'm, I'm thinking. I believe one of those things he would ask is, do you love me? And he tells us if we love him, we'll we'll keep his word. We'll keep it in front of our eyes so we can act upon it. And it'll change us and our neighbors, and it'll change everything about us. It really will. And that's the question that Jesus, if you'll remember, asked Peter. After he had risen from the dead, he asked Peter that. And in this marvelous passage, there's a fundamental lesson right there in... in uh, to your Bible, and it's basically that devotion precedes duty, or devotion precedes ministry. See, ministry and serving flows out of a relationship with God, not the other way around. Not because you're serving Him, now you're going to you know, have relationship and be devoted to Him and, and all these things, but when you love Him, and have devotion and communion with him, your service, your, your touching other people's lives will naturally flow out of that. It's kind of what you would call organic. John chapter 21, verse 15 says, and this is uh, Peter and uh, Jesus, and, and they're having breakfast together here. And it says, And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. Now, we know he asked him three different times, and there was three possible different kinds of answers, and and Jesus finally identified with the one that Peter responded to. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now, what's a lamb? It's us. It's a people. And see, we feed each other. If you know something about God's Word and I don't know it, share it with me. And, and, and you can be a pastor and that seems like, well, you're the one who's supposed to do all the feeding. That's not true. We're all as believers. When we learn something from God, we're all to share those little goodies that would be an encouragement to any and everybody else. But the truth of it is, if we really love him, we will feed his lambs. We will share the good news, the gospel, to give hope and to help overcome fears and to, you know, cause people to trust him even more and more. And, you know, God does answer prayer. Did you know that? You know, without faith it's impossible to please him. But those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, earnestly, sincerely seek him. He tells us that all things are possible. To those who really do believe in him, you know. We may love Jesus too little. But you cannot possibly love him too much. That's the truth of it. He's awesome. And he is so crazy about you. He loves you. He loves your family. He loves your children. He loves everything about you. And he'll help you. He really will. He will really, really help you. Now, it's a little statement I jotted down so I wouldn't forget it. But it's like Jesus is the holiest man who ever lived and yet it was the prostitutes it was the lepers it was the thieves who adored Jesus it was the religious people who hated Jesus' guts so we're going to find in the lambs who've come to know him his people from every background possible and Jesus just cleans us up does he not? He forgives us, and he gives us another chance. He sure does. So it's quite possible to be a very religious person and not to love Jesus at all. You're going through religious duties that does not inspire devotion, but true devotion to Christ will inspire us to serve him. Someone once said this prayer. They said, I love you, Lord, not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. I love you not only for what you have made of yourself but for what you are making of me. I love you, Lord, for the part of me that is that you bring out. I love you. I love you. For the part of me that you bring out. I love you. For putting your hand into my heaped up heart and passing over all the foolish the weak things that you can't help dimly seeing there and for drawing out into the light all the beautiful belongings that no one else had looked quite far enough to find i love you because you are helping me to make a to make of the lumber of my life a tavern not a tavern but a temple and of works of my every day, not a reproach, but you're making within me a song. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this. We run this race. We strip off the the weight and we strip off the sin. Verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That helps us more than anything else. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. we, We see him in his word. We behold him in his word. And we are changed from glory to glory as we behold him in his word. He says, and we do this, we run the race, we strip off the weight, we strip off the sin that trips us up. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus and by keeping his commands in front of our eyes. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Another translation says the author and the finisher of our faith. But it says here the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Jesus did. Disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And I'm going to tell you, he's crazy about you. God never has a stick in his hand looking to pop you with it, ever. He's not that kind of a a God. He is not that way at all. My Bible says that God doesn't love, but that God is love. And he is. And he loves us. He's crazy about us. You remember uh, Jesus? There was this uh, home he would go to from time to time. He'd just pop in, bring his disciples, you know, uh, give the ladies here a heart attack, you know, because, of, hey, we're coming for lunch. He was like, oh, no, you know. Don't have everything ready. And if you'll remember Martha, Martha was there, Jesus and all of his disciples and some other followers were hanging on. And Martha was in there trying to get a meal together, getting everything on the table. And she's, where is Mary, her sister? She goes in there and Mary is doing what? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just looking and clinging to every word that Jesus is saying. And she's just loving it. She's not doing anything in the kitchen, and Martha comes in there and goes, Mary, you come in here and help me. These guys are hungry, and we've got to prepare them something to eat in a few moments. And then she starts telling Jesus what to do. You ever tell Jesus what to do? (laughs) Jesus, you tell Mary to get in that kitchen and help me fix this meal. And it says here in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, and this is Jesus responding. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Martha, he's talking to Martha. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary's eyes. Mary's eyes was on Jesus. She was looking to Jesus. He's in her home. She's clinging to every word. Martha's eyes was on the word. Oh, there'll be plenty of time for work. I suspect if Martha had said, move over, Mary, and just clung to every word, I think it would have probably been a miracle that took place and that went in there and that had all kinds of food on the table already. I don't know how, but I do know he multiplied fish and bread and he did all kinds of miracles, so I assume that he would have probably done something similar. So don't ever put your... Ministry, or you're serving other people ahead of spending time with Jesus, who's crazy about you. He gave his life for you to wash your sins away so you can live with him. And then he rose from the dead. And so you and I have all been called to uh, what I would call an everlasting preoccupation with Jesus. And if you're gonna get preoccupied, you ever get preoccupied with something, ladies? You ever go talk to your husband, he's in there watching a ball game or reading a paper, and you're talking to him, and he don't even hear you. You ever seen something like that? Don't say yes or no or not right now, but but he's preoccupied with something, and we have been called to a everlasting preoccupation with Jesus, and you will accomplish in your life more than you ever would before and quicker than you ever would before when you become preoccupied with Jesus. Looking to Jesus, it transforms, it changes our life. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, it says, Then Peter called to him, Jesus. Peter was in a boat, you know, and here comes Jesus walking on the water in the evening time, and Peter called to him, Lord, because they were all fearful, Lord, if, if, if If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I mean, he was a brave soul, was he not? You know, you got to admire that about Peter. In verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. That's all good. Come. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on the water to Jesus. And and it wasn't frozen or nothing either, just I want to clarify that, you know. (laughs) It wasn't New England, you know. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked home the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the, the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord. Why was he beginning to sink? He wasn't looking at Jesus no more. He started looking at circumstances. Do you look at circumstances in your life? The problem? And you begin to sink. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus, you see. Okay, there's waves. Sure, there's wind. There's storms. These waves are going up and down. You start staring at them. You're feeling the wind, seeing it, feeling it. And you start thinking, you know, man can't walk on water. So when I'm talking about looking to Jesus, I'm talking about 24-7. And when circumstances start dictating that they're going to control us, we need to start looking at Jesus we need to get in his word and his promises. And hear what he's telling us. It's so important that we do. So it says in verse 30, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sing, Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus, Jesus did what? Waited a couple days? Immediately he reached out and grabbed him. And as a kid, I always thought he picked him up, but he didn't. He didn't just pick him up and carry him. I mean, he lifted him back up. And they walked back to the boat together. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little, what? Faith. faith. See, without faith it's impossible to please God. Looking to Jesus and keeping what he has said in front of us enables us to do what he says. But if we begin to look at the problems of life and the circumstances and the obstacles and we get our eyes off of Jesus, we'll start being impacted by the natural and I would much rather be impacted by the supernatural and that's what Jesus does he genuinely does and he says in verse 31 Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him you have so little faith Jesus said why did you doubt me you think Jesus would ever ask you that question why did you doubt me well it seemed impossible Don't you know I specialize in impossibilities? Doesn't he say in his word that all things are possible to those who uh, believe? Those who believe. All things are possible. And faith worketh by love. You're right. Verse 32 goes on to say, When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples, see, only one got out. The other ones wasn't saying, hey, Lord, tell me too. They were like, I'm going to stay in a boat, you know. Then the disciples worshipped him. That's what it says here. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. You really are. Maybe they hadn't quite believed that before now, you know. So there's probably some storms and waves and sharks that you bump into from time to time in your own life and you can stare at the problems and you can sink and go down. Or you can keep looking to Jesus and you're gonna do that which to others seems impossible. Because when you're looking to him, you access his power. And he delights in his relationship with you. He genuinely does. You know, um, I don't know if you, you ever seen these farms that they have, especially in the south, you can almost see a mile a flat mile, as far as the eye can see. And these people plow these things and they plant all kinds of crops in these things. There's just a few trees here and there, you know, around the edges of the fields. But an old farmer, the way he would teach his son how to plow, and this is before we had tractors and all that equipment, he would have an old mule and he'd have a plow and he would, the the dad would plow a furrow. You know, he would plow from here all the way across that field, you know. And he had his eye on just a little scrubby tree over there, and he went to that. And then he told his son, now you stay about yay distance between this and the, the fir there, and you just continue to look straight ahead. Just continue to look straight ahead to that tree right there. And if you get to plowing, this is how you and I learn to plow. We, we get to plowing, and we plow the way Christ does, and then Jesus has gone to the other side of the field, And we keep our eyes on him. And what dad had done, not just the tree, but dad walked to the whole other side of the field and said, son, you look at me and you plow straight to me. Now, if a rabbit comes running across the field and you start looking around, what's going to happen? You hit a rock and it throws the plow up and you, you get up and you don't just keep now, even if you're doing a pretty good job, like, oh, I'm doing pretty good back there. I'm doing real good. Oh, look how. I, huh, what happens? The Bible tells us we've got to forget the things that are behind us. Sometimes just looking back at how good we have done, you know, resting on our laurels messes up our future. Genuinely does. And sometimes just looking back at our failures. Mess, if, if you hit a rock and you, well, get back up and get where you're supposed to be and get your eyes back on Dad again, or in our case, get our eyes back on Jesus and plow that direction to him, you know. We need to forget the past. You remember uh, Lot's wife wouldn't forget what she was leaving behind? What did she turn into? A pillow of salt. Because she kept thinking about the good old days, the the good old life she had. And they were warned, don't look behind you. And she did. And the Bible teaches us to forget the things which are behind and reach to the things that are Ahead of us. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 62. But Jesus said to him. No one having put his hand to the plow. And looking back. Is fit for the kingdom of God. Has that passage ever bothered you? You know well. I put my hand to the plow. I started serving Jesus. And there's times in my life. When I might have looked back for a little bit. And he says, well, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Well, I studied over that and chewed on that for a good while, many years ago. And what he's saying is, no one who has started surf Jesus and starts looking back behind him, says is fit. While you're looking back, you're not fit. But all you have to do is repent, which just means what? Turn around. Now you're fit again see a lot of people thought well if I've, if I've looked back and i've made a mistake or i've sinned one time it's all over with that's not the case but while you're looking back you're not fit because you won't hit the destination you want you won't hit it because you're going all kind of crazy with your ways and if you're looking back before long you'll start going back you know that's what he's telling us there but we get those things right and it's like okay i did that but i'm looking back at jesus i'm looking at jesus the author and the finisher of my faith, you know, and it changes everything. Second, uh, Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, verse four says, And he, Uzziah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he sought God, looking to Jesus. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and in the visions of God, and as long, would you say those two words, as long? And as long as he sought the Lord, would you say sought the Lord? So as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Would you say those words? God made him prosper. As long as, in the Old Testament, they were looking to the Father. In the New Testament, as long as we're looking to Jesus, he said, seek him first. And his kingdom, his righteousness, all the things you have need of will be added to you. He says here in Chronicles, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. He wasn't making him prosper, his own self, as long as he sought the Lord. <clears throat> it's so important that we get our eyes upon Jesus <clears throat> as we're launching out into this new year. And as long as we put Christ first and we got our eyes upon him, he'll make you to prosper. In your body, in your soul, in your spirit, in your health, and in, in your relationships, in your parenting, in your, your being a husband or, or a, a wife or a father, dad, mom, as long as you and I got our eyes on Jesus, he will make you to prosper. That's just the truth of it. That's just the way it is. Now, if you wish to be disappointed, look to other people. If you look to, if you want to be disappointed. If you look to be um, downhearted, look to yourself. If you look to be encouraged, look to Jesus. Because he's crazy about you. He loves you. I am telling you, he loves you. Amen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, We are hard pressed on every side but not, not, not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. How, how can this be? How can we have all this difficulty come against us, but, but we are we're prospering, we're we, we going forward, we're advancing, overwhelming victory is, is ours. Why? Because they kept their eyes on Jesus. All the difficulties they kept their eyes on Jesus. Then you start looking at waves and storms and, and water and all that kinds of stuff. Verse 18, 2 Corinthians 418 says, So we fix our eyes and our minds as well. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Y- y'all think there's a storm coming? You seen it? But some people look at that storm. They look at the negative, do they not? And then when that storm don't show up, they go, "Oh, doggone it!" You know. Uh. But let me tell you, if it comes or if it don't, you don't have to stare at the storm, or the storms that's in your life. Not not talking about snow and ice and nothing, but other storms that are raging in your life. It says, "So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen." The, the troubles and the difficulties that are on his way is temporary, but what is unseen. Now, have, have y'all seen Jesus recently? You believe in him? Can you, can you see him with something other than eyes? And he says here, he says, but what is unseen is eternal. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ has never lost a battle. If you think, well, he got himself crucified, all part of the plan. All part of the plan to pay for your sin. All part of the plan. Not one time has he ever lost a battle. And I'm going to tell you, when you hang out with him, overwhelming victory is yours. You will succeed. That's what he's telling us, you know. Um, Interesting thought. All we want is Christ. Think about this. When all you want is Christ, you'll find Christ. If we want little of Christ, we'll find a little bit of him. If you want much, we'll find much. But if in utter helplessness we cast our all, Upon Christ, he will be to us the whole treasure chest, the whole treasury of God. When we totally surrender our all, our past, our present, and our future, God reveals to us his all. You know, Sometimes we have this tendency to look at what everybody else tells us to look at. We have this tendency to think about what everybody else tells us to think. But I think that God's ways are better than ours. Uh, His ways and his purposes and all are so much better. And we'll stick with that in this coming year. As uh, one young lady gave my wife when she came into church tonight, a shirt that says, what did it say? You ever heard that before? The best is yet to come. And I believe that when you're with Christ. The best is yet to come to come. Let me just share. We're we're just about done. Let me share just one little uh, article I had come across many, many years ago. It was a a mountain one-room schoolhouse where severe discipline was used to keep the rowdyism of uninterested pupils in check. The noon recess was ended and the teacher was interrogating the class with regards to the disappearance of Sally Jane's lunch. It disappeared. After a few minutes of verbal threats and demands, a sob was heard. It was little Billy, a thin, undernourished child. His family was the poorest of the poor. Did you take Sally Jane's lunch, demanded the teacher. Yes, sir, mumbled Billy through his tears. I was just so hungry. Nevertheless, you did wrong to steal and you must be punished, declared the teacher. And as the teacher removed the leather strap from its place on the wall, Billy was ordered to the front of the room and told to remove his shirt. The arm of the teacher was raised over the bent and trembling form of little Billy. Hold it, teacher. Shouted a husky voice from the rear of the room. It was Big Jim striding down the aisle, removing his shirt as he came. Let me take you whipping. He begged the teacher, let me take it. The teacher was aghast, But knowing that justice must be demonstrated, he consented and laid the belt to the back of Big Jim with such force that even the stronger boy winced and his eyes watered. But Billy never forgot the day that Big Jim took his place. And I have never forgot the day that Jesus Christ took my place and that Jesus took your place as he was beaten horribly and then he was nailed to the cross and then he was put in an empty tomb. I'll never forget what he did for me and for you. And I can tell you, little Billy loved Big Jim. And I can tell you, and you get to know Jesus, you will love him. Amen. Love him. Not just, ah, I want to go to heaven, so I'll do what he tells me to do. No. He took your place. Because he's crazy about you. He loves you. And I want to challenge you as we look out into the new year, 2019. I want us to continue to be looking for Jesus. And we're going to keep his word right in front of our eyes. Reading it every day is a good way to get started on that. And getting better acquainted with him than you ever knew possible. Because he surely is crazy about you. And once you recognize what Jesus did for you, you fall in love with him and you find out he ain't mad at you. He ain't mad at you at all. He just wants to forgive you, give you another chance, and help you every step of the way. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I ask that you would just minister to the men and the women, the boys and the girls who are in this place. Whether they're downstairs in our uh, cafe campus or up in the balcony. And all those who are watching online tonight and on another date, Father, I ask that you would just help us to look to Jesus. Help us to continue to look toward our Savior who took our place, who paid for our sins, and who rose from the dead. Help us to get better acquainted with Jesus than we ever knew possible. Because he sure is crazy about us. As our heads are bowed, I would ask you if you would reaffirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with me right now? And those of you who hear my voice, whether you can see me or not, would you reaffirm your faith or maybe declare your faith for the very first time? Would you pray with me right now? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe he died in my place and paid for all of my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he's knocking at the door of my heart and I open wide that door and I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King help me almighty god to live my life in such a way to honor you in jesus name amen and amen